0: Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. I'm your host for today, Kathy. Today, I will be discussing episode 24 and 25 of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an. And yay, we are officially at our halfway point in the drama. I think in the next couple of weeks or During the new year, we will set up a new poll for the next drama that we will discuss. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or else email us at Karen and Kathy at chasingdramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin. We will reference translations from what is provided online and we will also provide our own. Today's podcast episode will be an episode recap and then discuss some history that we see in these two episodes. So let's start with episode 24. After the heroic display at Jing Ansi in the last episode by Cui Qi, we now turn back to Zhang Xiaoxing's storyline. He's been chasing the shou Zhuolang or mercenaries that were sent to kill Yosha and the church, he now has Tanzi and Yis si both in tow, and they have a lead. It is now 9 p.m. at night. The trio head to the location their captured mercenary shared before he died in order to seek a fire master. But when the door opens, Zhang Xiaoting is surprised to see a familiar face. Turns out. This firemaster is none other than one of his buddies during his time at war, one of the few who survived. A guy named Ding San. Ding San is rather hospitable to Zhang Xiaojing while keeping Tan Qi and Yi Si under careful watch by the other mercenaries. Ding San has lots of food around and says he must have food within five paces around him; otherwise, he starts seeing flies. This seems like an odd comment until we find out that this habit is because his wife, mother, and two young children died of hunger. He returned home after running seven days and seven nights with a piece of bread in the hot July month only to find that everybody died with flies flying around the rotten bodies. Oh, man, that was pretty tough to hear. Ding San bursts out in tears after recounting the horror of what he saw. Zhang Xiaojing tries to console him, though, but he does have a task to complete and asks who hired Ding San and his men to make the hit on Yo Cha. Zhang Xiaojing states that they, these mercenaries, are harming innocent people in Chang'an. Zhang Xiaojing at this point doesn't know what has befallen Jing Ansi. Even with Cuiqi's defense, Longbo set Jing Ansi ablaze and we see soldiers now trying to carry the dead bodies and try to revive those who might still be alive. Li Bi chases after Longbo and company through the secret passageway from whence they came. Li Bi is covered in blood and easily captured by Longbo and his men and whisked away. Meanwhile, news has already been sent to the palace and General Guo is back at the right chancellor's residence with orders for the right chancellor to now take over management of Jing Ansi. Apparently, the crown prince told the emperor that it was because the right chancellor removed Lu Benjun earlier in the day, which caused the security to be very lax at Jing Ansi. I mean, that's not wrong. General Guo right now is very sarcastic in his congratulations towards the right chancellor. Everyone knows that the right chancellor, Lin jiu right now has the hot potato on his hands. After General Guo leaves, the right chancellor screams at Ji his close subordinate from today, that he must now take over Jing an and give him or catch a culprit for him within the next two hours. He only says, I give you one shi chen, which translates to two hours. Unfortunately, this also means that we see more of the annoying Yuan Zai, Wang Yunxiu, and Ji Wen. Ji Wen arrives to take control of Jing Ansi, and Yuan Zai is ordered to see him. Yuan Zai brings along Wang Yunxiu and asks her to just write her name down to confirm the day's events. She is surprised that the piece of paper is blank, but Yuan Zai tells her to trust him. What is her evidence used to state then? That Zhang Xiaojing is the main culprit behind today's events. Ji Wen, in front of the surviving members of Jing Ansi, which includes Yao Runang, gives this whole speech about how today's events must have included a spy and that in order to quell the situation, they must find the man responsible. And that man is Zhang Xiaoting. I mean, were we expecting anything different, especially from Wang Yunxiu at this point? No. But the next scene really warms my heart. The men of Jing and si all mutter under their breath at this proclamation, and some even burst out with cries of indignation. These men, unfortunately, are met with brute force as a soldier steps forward and slaps one of the men who disagreed with this conclusion. I mean, everybody from Jing Ansi can see that Ji Wen is just using Zhang Xiaoting as a scapegoat to solve today's crimes as quickly as possible and not find the real culprit. The surviving men cry out that they will not agree to this and push Yao Runan to step forward to oppose this resolution. Good for you all. I mean, you guys just went through this traumatizing event where men were just brutally murdered in front of you, and you still know what is right and what is wrong. Does Yao Runang know? Mmm, no. Because as we see here, Yao Runang is still fundamentally a coward and weak. That small amount of courage Yao Runung gathered in the last episode retreats once more. When Yuanzai shouts that if Yao Runeng opposes, this is tantamount to treason. Yao Runeng turns to the crowd and, much to the dismay of the other men from Si, states that they should listen to Ji Wen. While well, these upstanding men are disgusted by Yao Runeng's words, and honestly, so am I. Ji Wen sends orders for all of Chang'an to seek. And kill Zhang Xiaojing. Anyone who does so will be handsomely rewarded. Episode 24 ends with Zhang Xiaojing once again asking Ding San who exactly sent him. Zhang Xiaojing requests that Tan Qi and Yi Si are allowed to leave safely, and he'll stay as a hostage for them. Once the two of them leave, Ding San having given his piece of the flag during their army days, actually turns around and kills all of the other mercenaries in the room. I guess he's trying to save Zhang Xiaojing. Ding San calmly states that the person behind this is right. What he's doing is correct. Sadly, Ding San doesn't get to say more before Ding San himself is killed by one of his downed men. In his dying breath, he says that he does not regret what he's done. And with that, another thread for Zhang Xiaojing is lost. I don't want to spoil anything, but let's keep in mind why Ding San has the flag of Di ba Tuan or the troop that both him and Zhang Xiaojing were at during those harrowing days in the front. We'll continue directly into episode 25. Tanqi and Yi Si are waiting for Zhang Xiaojing outside. Yi si declares that he can be helpful and states that he knows how to parkour or free run. Parkour wasn't officially named until like the 1990s. So let's just ignore that whole statement in the drama. The reason why I confidently say parkour because Yi Si says, oh, I know how to pao ku. And pao ku in Chinese is parkour. So, you know, let's just ignore that, uh, Parkour, or paokou as a phrase, was around during the 8th century. Well, Yi Su gets into a little bit of trouble with Ding San's remaining men and rushes back to Tanqi. Zhang Xiaoxing at this point rushes out of the room. He doesn't have too much time to think about what just happened. At this moment, the watchtowers beat their drums with the order to seek and kill Zhang Xiaoxing. Zhang Xiaojing runs from the mercenary hideout of now dead people with more mercenaries hot on their trail. Zhang Xiaojing pushes Tanqi to run while he fights off the mercenaries. Tanqi isn't going to just leave Zhang Xiaojing to fend for himself, so she runs to find nearby bu liangren or sleuth hounds to fight. These are again Zhang Xiaojing's old men. Well, not directly his old men, but the group of men. Hanxi comes up with this whole story about how they should or the Bu Liang Ren should seek the attackers and they do follow her, but they become hesitant when they see that it is Zhang Xiaojing that they are uh, rescuing. Zhang Xiaojing doesn't really need their help as he subdues the other mercenaries. But then he does speak with the Bu Liangren or sleuth hounds. They're not pleased that Zhang Xiaojing betrayed Xiao Yi earlier in the day, but they do give their respects to him for this one last day. When the group immediately receive orders from a messenger to apprehend Zhang Xiaokin, they do let him and Tanxi escape as a parting gift of respect. Let's now turn to the whole plotline between Longbo and Li Bi. The group is now back at Fu's old residence, he Fu here is ecstatic to hear these drum beats and bounds in the tense conversation between Longbo and Li Bi. You can feel the palpable annoyance Longbo has for Hufu, Fu who asks for time alone with Li Bi. He Fu reveals to Li Bi that he was always faking his mental retardation. He tells off Li Bi because he, He Fu is actually much more intelligent than Li Bi and knows how to hide his strengths and skills in order to achieve his ultimate goals. All He Fu wants to see right now is the right chancellor killed tonight. Li Bi becomes angered at He Fu's questioning of whether or not his actions today were done to protect the people of Chang'an or if there's another reason, which I think is actually quite fair. Does Li Bi really care about the people of Chang'an? Maybe Li Bi doesn't know himself and Li Bi rashly then tries to strangle He Fu. The reason why I think Li Bi is so triggered is because we then get to a flashback. This flashback is to an unknown time back at the secret location where we have Li Bi, the crown prince, and a guy named Han Chaozong are meeting. The three discuss the crown prince's grand plans to enact his new tax reform. A trusted official Pei Mian has already set up a private place in the locale of Lingwu to enact these new plans. Three years in, none of the farmers have left, and there seems to be great results. They all then get onto a topic of informing the emperor of the oppression and terror imposed by the right chancellor. However, both Li Bi and the crown prince oppose this proposal due to the delicate position The crown prince is currently in. The emperor knows that the crown prince and the right chancellor are at odds. It would look very suspicious if someone from his faction, as in the crown prince's faction, brought forth these charges against the right chancellor. Li Bi is still focused on the future that the crown prince will presumably bring. An era of prosperity. And that kind of goes back to why, earlier I said, Li Bi probably doesn't know right now what he's fighting for. He says it's for the people of Chang'an, but is it really? Back at the present, Li Bi then voices his anger at He Fu because everything He Fu's done will endanger the crown prince's future. But He Fu doesn't care. Long Bo breaks the two apart. But (laughs) He Fu insults Long Bo on the way, demeaning... Longbo and his men. Longbo stares Fu down and gives him a lesson on humility. I'll cheer for Longbo in this one instance because Fu really deserves no sympathy. Fu does change his demeanor and apologizes to Longbo, but he makes the critical mistake of stating that he will give Longbo and his men more money for the day's events is blinded by his desire for revenge and believes that everyone can be bought. We talked in the last podcast episode how Longbo does have a code and hufu blew right past that code. This spells, I would say, an end for he Fu, While Longbo agrees to allow hufu to be present at the demise of the right chancellor, Longbo will gouge he Fu's eyes before then. Ku Fu is dragged away so that this deed can be completed. Ooh, it'll be a little bit icky, but um, Long Bo keeps his promises. Back at Jing An si, Ji Wen now has complete authority. Yao Ru tries to appeal to Ji Wen to have him find another suspect because everyone knows full well that it isn't Zhang Xiaojing. However, Ji Wen just mocks Yao Runong for his cowardice because Yao didn't say anything in front of the other men earlier. According to Ji Wen, Yao is just a disgrace, like his father. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. Yao right now has nothing more to say except bow and ask for a task. Here is where I'm very confused by Yao He risked his life to save Zhang Xiaojing earlier from the clutches of the right cavalry. Why not now? Meanwhile... Yuan Zai promises to Wang Yunxiu that he will protect her and her family in the future. Hmm, what does this foreshadow? Well, they are then now summoned by Ji Wen and ordered to capture Zhang Xiaojing. Ugh, what a total get. Ji Wen doesn't want to do the job, so he has Yuan Zai do it. And between the couple that is Wang Yunxiu and Yuan Zai, Wang Yunxiu, the woman, is the one wearing armor and yuanzai. is just like, well, I guess this is it. (laughs) The episode ends with a kind of reset. The different players are now in motion. Li Bi is captured by Longbo's men. Zhang Xiaoting is back on the move. And Yao Runong grieves the bodies of the dead men, including what looks like Xu Bin's body. Okay, that was two pretty heavy episodes that really pushed the plot to the next stages. Let's turn to history, and honestly, they really appear in episode 25. We won't talk about the rainfall pavilion today because we covered it during our discussion of episode 22. Although, do check out the nice water wheel that is shown at the end of episode 24. I'll focus right now on the flashback conversation between the crown prince, Li Bi, and the gentleman, 韩朝宗 At the beginning of the flashback, we hear two lines. Or, I don't have to be born a duke with 10,000 serfs. I only need to know Han Jingzhou. These two lines were written by none other than the master poet Li Bai in the year around 734. He wanted to become introduced to the aristocracy and officials at court and wrote what was essentially a ganye poem to Han Chaozong, who was also known as Han Jingzhou due to his time as an official in the city. We talked about these ganye poems in episode 3. The poor poet Chen Sen, who is still in prison, had all of his poems destroyed. As a reminder... Gan in Chinese means to work, and ye means to pay respects or to visit. So these gan ye poems were literally to show someone in power his or the poet's own works in hopes that this powerful person will take a liking to these works and put his name up on the list for the final rankings for the imperial exams. Now, who is this Han Chaozong? He was born in 686 AD and raised in the city of Chang'an. He gained favor with the emperor Tang Ruizong, the father of our current emperor, Tang Xuanzong. Han Chaozong continued to rise at court steadily until the 730s, where he was then demoted due to allowing officials under him to lazily enact strict taxes. In 742, Han Chaozong returned to Chang'an as Jin Ying or basically the governor of a capital city. Or it would be mayor. In his later years, his faction lost the battle against Li Linfu, and he was again demoted out of the capital city. During his life, Han Chaozong was well known for having an eye for talent and nurturing young scholars and officials to enter court, or higher ranks at court. Hence why the poet Li Bai, who was still struggling to make his way into court in the 730s, wrote this now well-known piece, Yu Han Jingzhou Shu. Interestingly, Li Bai still didn't really make it to court after publishing this piece, but Han Chaozong's name has now lived for over a thousand years due to Li Bai's work. Next, Han Chaozong in the scene also reports to the crown prince that a man named Pei Mian has implemented the crown prince's reforms in a place called Lingwu. Pei Mian, born in 703, only became an official during the Tianbao era, so the earliest was around 742. He became an imperial censure. During the An Lushan Rebellion in the 750s, the crown prince fled the capital city north towards Pingliang. Pei Mian rendezvoused with the crown prince and convinced his party to head to this place called Lingwu. After five requests, the crown prince Li Hung, or our crown prince in the drama, agreed to declare himself emperor as Tang Su Zong. Pei Mian was then appointed deputy head of the Legislative Bureau of Government, or Zhong Shu Shilang. For the purposes of the drama, the timing for Pei Mian to be in the crown prince's orbit is a little bit early, but he does play a crucial role later in the crown prince's life. The reason why I bring these two together is because, again, Lin Wu is also of note because in history, that is where the crown prince declares himself emperor. Lastly, let's talk a little bit more about Yao Runeng. In episode 18, we talked about Yao Runeng's ancestors, including the chancellor Yao Chong. Now let's talk about Yao Runeng's father, who is briefly mentioned by Ji Wen in this episode as mockery of the Yao family. The man Wen is talking about is Yao Hong, the grandson of the chancellor Yao Chong and father of Yao Runong. In the Old Book of Tang, which again is a historical text about the Tang Dynasty, a man called Niu Xianke rose to the level of chancellor during Emperor Tang Xuanzong's reign in the year 736 and served alongside. Li Lin Fu, which is our Lin Jiulang in the drama. During Niu Xianke's political career, he also appointed Yao Hong to be an imperial censure. This Yao Hong claimed that he could communicate with other realms and was learned in supernatural matters and knew how to avoid misfortunes. Niu Xianke totally believed this. In 742. Niu Xianke turned gravely ill. This Yao Hong then just comes over to say, Hey, I will pray for you so that you can rise to the heavens. But before I do so, you need to write a letter of recommendation to the emperor telling him to promote my uncle Yao Yi and the deputy minister of war Lu Huan to become chancellors. That totally would work, right? Well, Yao Hong wrote the letter and forced Niu at to sign. But Niu Xiangke was on his deathbed at this point and could barely write anything. The old man died shortly after. During the funeral, Niu Xiangke's wife exposed Yao Hong's treachery to the officials that came to pay respects. The emperor heard of this and became outraged at this news. I mean, that would be the reasonable response. The emperor sentenced Yao Hong to death and had Yao Yi and Liu Huan demoted. In history, these events only happened in 742. In the drama, we're currently at 744, so this event is rather fresh in everyone's memory. That's why Yao Runong is so desperate to try and be on the quote-unquote right side politically. His father stained the Yao family name, and therefore Yao Runong must act correctly to restore this family name. Again, he is such an interesting character in the drama because so much of what he does conflicts with his previous actions or aspirations. I guess, again, it just shows that when faced with adversity, people flip-flop. And we'll learn a lot more about Yao Nong in the future. As a reminder, though, in this drama... Yao Runeng is the son of Yao Hong, but that is not clear from history. So that is just one piece that we need to like take out um, when we're talking about the drama. Well, that closes out our discussion of episode 24 and 25 of The Longest Day in Chang'an. The music for this episode is Qing Ping Yue, played by Karen, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head over to our sponsor, Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. They have launched on Sling TV, and you can stream it through the website, Jumao, the platform, Plex, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Again, all this is free. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next podcast episode.